just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Monday. We're starting out another week. And it promises to be kind of crazy. We've got some stuff coming up this week that should make some people nervous, make some people happy. We'll be talking about that more in a little bit. Uh, But before we start things off, I'll just say this. Still have the cold. It's getting better. But you know when you get to the end of the cold where it's just kind of annoying now? You're not in pain. You're not tired. It's just a stuffy head. It's, It's a fucking pain. So just deal with me on this one. I should be out of this pretty soon. Let's start out with a couple of emails that I received. First one comes from Bo. Hey, Mike, hope you're well today. Glad to see the podcast are back on track. Things are getting crazy with Trump and Republicans. Every day it's like, what crazy BS is there going to be today? Excited to see the September 28th, January 6th hearing start up. I'm hoping it shuts that shit down. We are having politicians talking that bullshit here in Canada. guy by the name of Pierre Poilevere. Probably didn't pronounce that right, but I live in a fucking America, so who cares? He is a conservative now leading the conservative party. He's a nut case and taking notes from Donald Trump. His rhetoric is quite dangerous. We have a group of people here that call themselves freedom fighters. They are right-wing extremists. Pierre is supporting these nut jobs. Anyway, thought I'd email. Been a while. Wishing you a wonderful day. That's the interesting interesting thing about this. Um, As crazy and as unsuccessful as of late Donald Trump is with this whole radical right attitude, this white supremacy, the anti-Semitism and the, uh, uh, the misogyny and all this shit, there are people in this country, there are people in state offices and people in other parts of the world that are latching on to that behavior because they think it's going to get them votes. Unfortunately, what we're finding out now with Donald Trump, he's losing support. Every day he's losing more support, and there's only so many people that really buy into what he thinks and does because he's a fucking idiot, because he's a criminal, because he's corrupt. But still, there'll be people in Canada. We've got some radical right thing going on in Italy, too. And we've got a lot of people in this country that are in state-level offices that want to take up the reins from Donald Trump. Eventually, these people will be shot down, and uh, it won't work for them, and we will be rid of it. But we're still fucking with it at this point. i got to tell you, uh, Bo, as much as you might have problems in Canada, I guarantee you don't have as many problems as we have in this country. You folks in Canada got to be looking down at us going, what the fuck is going on? You expect better out of the United States of America. Bo, thanks for sending the email. Thanks for listening. Next one comes from a gentleman by the name of Jesus. Hello, Mike. I'm back. And, and I don't know if you're keeping up with what is happening in Iran, 
but I see many parallels with the government of Iran and the Trumplicans. They both want to use religion to control the lives of people. I can actually see that if they were to recapture control of Congress and the White House, they could start trying to force us into a theocracy. Thanks for listening to my rant, Jesus. I haven't really been paying that close of attention to um, Iran. I might normally look into that. But with all the shit we've got going on here, I, I, you know, I just don't have time to focus on that. But I will look into it because that, that is important and could ultimately affect the world. But you're right. There are people all over the world that are trying to infuse religion into government. Now, I don't know what they do in Iran. I think uh, religion there has always been part of it. But here in this country, infusing religion into what we do governmentally will be the demise of democracy because they don't want democracy. They only want what they want. They want their agenda. This is a big problem for us in this country, this whole religion thing. Now, I say this, you know, as somebody who is technically a Christian, I believe in God and all that. I pray and do all that stuff. I don't believe in organized religion, though, because I think organized religion is simply a club that uh, humans created to gain power and money doesn't necessarily have anything to do with a higher power. It has to do with their fucking getting power. So I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in individual religions. That said, if you have a, an allegiance to a certain religion and it makes you feel better and things are good, that's fine. I think religion's a very personal thing. People can believe what they want. It's only troubling when people will... S- try to talk you out of what you believe in. I mean, part of the reason why we broke away from Britain is because of freedom of religion. In the Constitution, it also talks about the separation of government and religion. Let's be perfectly honest. Religions, not God, religions have been responsible for more deaths in this world over the last thousand years than any other organization. They have. And the problem is, is what they do is it's not not good enough to believe what you want to believe and just let everybody live like they want to live. They want to force you to believe like they believe. And if they can't make you believe like they believe, then you're a bad guy or a bad gal. And that's where the problem lies. We came to this country from Britain to have religious freedom, and now we've got evangelicals wanting us to adopt what they believe. And I'm sorry, I don't think what evangelicals or even any number of other um, religious organizations, what they believe is necessarily tied to what a higher power or God would want us to do. I think if you read the Bible or you take a look at the Ten Commandments or you just you know, you just know through your prayers and whatever, there is one simple thing to know, and that is just to be kind to one another and help others. If you did that, that would encompass most of the Ten Commandments and everything that's in the Bible. Unfortunately, that is the one thing the evangelicals and some other organized religions don't do. I mean, I've, I've dealt with Catholics. I've dealt with Mormons. I've been a Lutheran. I know some folks that are Jewish. 
And not all of these religions are like this. I don't think Lutherans or, or the Jewish folks are like this. Well, maybe they are to a certain extent. But every religion you look into, a lot of them will say, look, you're going to heaven because you're this religion. All these other people are lesser than you because they're not in our religion, and they're probably going to go to hell. I know when I talked to the Mormons, they talked about multiple levels of heaven. And uh, by virtue of them being Mormons and practicing Mormonism, they will be at the highest levels, and the rest of us will either go to hell or be at some lower levels of heaven. I don't know where in the Bible it's ever fucking said that. See, they make shit up, and then they want to force their opinions on you because they think they're right. Jesus, I agree with you. Religion is one of our biggest problems here. If we all did what I suggest and what I do is make it a personal thing. You can believe whatever the fuck you want, but don't force it on me. Don't try to change our country based on your beliefs. There are laws and there are religion. Let's keep them separate and keep religion a personal thing. Everybody everybody can believe what they want to believe, but just don't force the rest of the fucking country to think like you do because that's not going to work. That's not um, that's not the teachings of the Bible or God or higher power or source or whatever you want to call it. It's very simple. Be kind to one another and help people out that need it. That's all you fucking have to remember. If you can do that, you're fine. If you can't, you're fucking wrong. All right, we, we talked about uh, something that was coming up on... Uh, 60 minutes, and it was pretty interesting. The story we heard, the tease we saw, was basically uh, somebody who had worked for the January 6th committee who told the interviewer on 60 Minutes that there was a uh, evidence of a communication from the White House to a rioter on January 6, 2021, during the insurrection, which is pretty compelling, which is pretty damning. And we heard that that show was coming up on Sunday, which was yesterday. So this week on 60 Minutes, correspondent Bill Whitaker interviewed Denver Riggleman. He's a former senior technical advisor for the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol about what he learned while investigating the insurrection. A lot of people are asking, why is he talking? And that's a good question. I don't know that he's supposed to be talking. I've heard little bits and pieces about him. Apparently, he's done this before and got in trouble before. But if this all pans out, it's very compelling, and it's something we should know. Now, in his position, Riggleman oversaw a data-driven operation for the committee that uses digital clues, including phone records, emails, social media posts, and text messages related to the attack on the Capitol. That included a trove of more than 2,000 texts messages provided to the committee by President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. You remember, Mark Meadows turned this stuff over. He wouldn't testify, but he certainly did um, turn some of these texts over. Riggleman, an ex-military intelligence officer and former Republican congressman from Virginia, told 60 Minutes his analysis of the Meadows text messages lead him to believe they were a roadmap to an attempted coup. With your background in information analysis, when you read these texts, what does that sound like 
to your trained ear, Whitaker asked. It sounded like, honestly, the way they talked and the way that they referred to this, this epic struggle, almost sounded like me looking at a foreign terrorist group in my past, Riggleman said. Riggleman said the aha moment for him came when his team discovered the White House switchboard connected a call to the Capitol rioters' phone on January 6, 2021. Riggleman stopped working for the January 6th committee in April. The committee told 60 Minutes that it has run down all leads that arose from his work. The committee's full statement to 60 Minutes on Riggleman's work can be found below. All right, this is what the uh, select committee says about Riggleman. In his role on the select committee staff, Mr. Riggleman had limited knowledge of the committee's investigation. He departed from the staff in April prior to our hearings and much of our most important investigative work. He told the committee he was departing in order to help the people of Ukraine in their war against Russia. Since his departure, the committee has run down all leads and digested and analyzed all the information that arose from his work. He will be presenting additional evidence to the public in our next hearing this coming Wednesday, and a thorough report will be published by the end of the year. So I'm thinking the January 6th committee isn't really happy about Riggleman speaking out. They're not really denying what he said, but they're kind of saying, well, he doesn't know that much mainly because the January 6th committee doesn't want this shit released as yet. They don't want to uh, um, soften what they're going to deliver on the 28th. Now, the interesting thing about this is Riggleman is a Republican, and he has supported Donald Trump in the past. So is he being honest, or is he playing some game to help Donald Trump? I doubt that. I highly doubt that. One of the key breakthroughs Riggleman said his team made while working for the January 6th committee was determining the names and ownership of phone numbers for text messages that President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, provided the committee. When the matching process was completed, Riggleman said it revealed a series of text messages sent to Meadows by Jenny Thomas, a Republican activist and, of course, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Miss Thomas's text messages to Meadows included links tied to far-right conspiracies. Riggleman characterized the text as a gallop through fever dreams. It was an open secret around the Beltway that her views had gotten pretty extreme, Riggleman said about Miss Thomas. What really shook me was the fact that if Clarence agreed with or was even aware of his wife's efforts, all three branches of government will be tied to the Stop the Steal movement. And if you remember, I said that very same thing. When Donald Trump was in office, you had the executive branch, you had the legislative branch, and you had the judicial branch, all working to overturn the elections and overthrow this government. That's a fucking scary thing. For me in intelligence, there's always the possible and probable, Riggleman said. It's possible that Clarence Thomas had no idea of the activities of Ginny Thomas over decades as a Republican activist. Possible. Had no idea what was going on during the election in Biden and Trump and her connections to the administration. Possible. Is it probable? I just can't even get my arms around that being probable. 
I agree. There's no way. I mean, I've been married 39 years. If my wife was doing something like that or I was doing something like that, the other would know exactly what the fuck is going on. Riggleman said he has no evidence that Clarence Thomas was involved in any of Ginny Thomas's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Oh, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. He was involved, and he did it very visibly. He did it when he didn't recuse himself from all of these things that come up about the January 6th insurrection and anything tied to his wife, Ginny. He was involved, and at least in the role of an accessory, by trying to stop the prosecution or the release of of information from the situation. It didn't work, but he fucking tried, which always I found strange. I mean, it's really, truly the arrogance of it that troubles me. Now, when he was voting against releasing information that would implicate Ginny Thomas. He voted against it, but he knew everybody else was going to vote for it. So what difference did it make if he voted for it or not? By not voting for it, it kind of put the spotlight on him as somebody trying to game the system. He wasn't going to win. He knew he wasn't going to win, but still, still he put the spotlight on himself as somebody who's going against it and looks to be I, you know, I don't know. He, he he looks to be acting in a corrupt manner. Why would you do that if for no other reason than fucking actual arrogance? And I think that's the key to these some of these Supreme Court justices. They feel untouchable. They feel like they can do fucking anything. And they do. And it turns out they are pretty much untouchable because there are no rules and regulations that they have to follow. They're just these norms that we keep hearing about, these norms that nobody would ever test, well, until Donald Trump and apparently the Supreme Court now. These norms don't mean anything. The government has no teeth when it comes to people breaking the norms. Riggleman said while working for the committee, he lobbied Vice Chair Liz Cheney to subpoena Miss Thomas. Denver Riggleman, a former member of the House Freedom Caucus, was endorsed by President Trump and lost his 2020 House re-election bid after officiating a same-sex marriage between two campaign staffers. He left the Republican Party in June and told 60 Minutes he labels himself as politically unaffiliated. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, something you have to consider when you're thinking about Mr. Riggleman. While serving in the House, Riggleman voted with President Trump more than 90% of the time. He told 60 Minutes his loyalty was sometimes questioned when he would reach across the aisle. Since leaving Congress, Riggleman has spoken out against Mr. Trump. Maybe it's because he lost in 2020. Hating him or liking him really doesn't matter to me, Riggleman said of Mr. Trump. What matters to me, what the actions were, and do we have data and facts to back up the fact that the individual tried to run a coup-like movement against the United States of America, and that this individual, Mr. Trump, has a propensity to lie and to amplify conspiracy theories from troll farms and make part of his White House package. Yes, Proven done, 
Let's move on and get them out of there. Let's actually have adults come back in charge, right? Let's have those individuals come back that are fact-based and not huffing glue all day. And I think that's where we need to be. Now, here's where, for me, it kind of all falls apart. The January 6th committee doesn't want him talking. And he's talking and bragging about all the shit that he uncovered or claims to have uncovered when he was doing his investigation. Why would he do that? Well, here's one idea. Riggleman's new book, The Breach, recounts his time and work for the January 6th committee and will be released Tuesday, the day before the January 6th committee. As much as I want to believe this guy, I have to question his veracity when he goes on 60 Minutes and gives all this compelling information, and then we find out he's got a new book coming out in two days, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. I don't know. He's a Republican. He voted with Trump. He sometimes went against Trump. Uh, He claims some things. And actually, the things he claims that he saw are basically just expansion of things we knew. He's basically telling us things we knew, but trying to legitimize it because he said he saw it. I don't know if it's true or not. I have no clue. But I know what he's trying to fucking do. He's trying to sell books. He goes on to say, I'm in a unique position because I say, well, I know what's going on, right? I not only was on the committee, I was in Congress. I was in meetings with President Trump. I got insight, Riggleman told 60 Minutes. This is what I was trained to do. Thank you, United States government. Thank you, United States Air Force. Thank you, United States Congress. And now I get to apply those skills to this problem set. The January 6th committee, of course, is scheduled to hold a public hearing on Wednesday. I like that last line of his, though. And now I get to apply those skills to this problem set. Ow. You're not in the investigation anymore. You fucking wrote a book. No, what you're doing is you're capitalizing on some notoriety, you're hyping it up, and you're trying to sell a book. Now, I'm not saying what he said was untrue. It may be. But it was certainly not what the uh, January 6th committee wanted him to do. If he gave away information, if he was telling tales out of school, kiss and tell, whatever you want to call it, if that's what he was doing, that's pretty shady as far as I'm concerned. As much as I like hearing what he has to say, and it may be true, I don't have a lot of respect for this fuck. Because this fuck is... uh, simply trying to sell books. So take it for what it's worth. I guess what's important to know for sure from this guy, it sounds like he's uh, testifying in front of the January 6th committee. Let's hear what he has to fucking say when he's under oath. And when he's under oath, then maybe I'll offer it some credibility. Right now, take it for what it's worth. It's really not that compelling. Like I say, a lot of what he exposed was just supporting shit we already knew. And because he's some data security guy and was in Congress and worked for the January 6th committee, here's my question. The January 6th committee is largely Democratic, save for the two, um, uh, Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. This was a guy who was a Trump humper. 
why does the January 6th committee hire some fucking clown like that to do this work for them? That makes no sense. Did they not know? I mean, the fucker was in Congress. You got to know who he is. But they hired him. Why is that? I tend to believe the select committee that uh, his involvement wasn't quite as in-depth as he'd like us to believe. So I really don't know how to take what he said. I mean, we as Democrats, when we hear something against Donald Trump, immediately we'll want to believe it. And chances are it's true. But we have to be careful. Because if we just latch on to anything that's thrown in front of us, like the red meeting at, red meat-eating assholes on the Republican side, we're really no better than them. We need to know what really happened. We need to know how it happened and who was involved. And we need to see the actual evidence of it. Not some guy saying, well, I was in there and I saw some shit and guess what? Like this whole revelation about a call from the White House to an insurrectionist. That's pretty damning if that actually happened. And if he saw the evidence of it, well, then we should be able to see the evidence when it comes out in the January 6th uh, committee hearings. Hopefully it will. I happen to think that the J6 committee has some really damning evidence. And we're going to start to see it on the 28th, which is, what, Wednesday this week? We're going to see it. And to be perfectly honest with you, this guy Riggleman will be long forgotten because whatever comes out in the committee hearing is going to drown him out. I hope he doesn't sell a fucking single book. But he's trying hard, man. He's trying to take advantage of the situation. Now, of all the people reporting that story, I'm the only one that's taking this tack to it that I know of, that I've seen. And and it's because... You really can't believe anything that you hear in the media. I mean, I watch the media all the time. I watch the news reports, but I never trust what they tell me. I always take a deeper look at it. I investigate it. I look at several sources. If it matches up on several sources, that means it's probably true. But then you've got to dig a little deeper than most of these media outlets will give you. There's more to the story. And then I try to dig out the deeper parts of the story to get a real understanding of what the fuck is going on. This Mr. Riggleman, hopefully he's honest and hopefully he's telling the truth. But I don't think he did the January 6th committee any any favors by blurting this out. Why did he have to blurt it out now? Why couldn't he have done it after uh, after the January 6th committee hearing? Well, there's one very good reason. The hearing is on Wednesday. And his book is coming out fucking Tuesday. That's why. So you take that for what it's worth. I mean, I think it's it's fair to say your best bet is to trust nobody. Certainly in politics. Certainly in Washington, D.C. And I'm talking Democrats, too. At this point, the Democrats are a little more credible than the Republicans. And we need the Democrats to douse this dumpster fire that is the Republican Party. But uh, even if we do vanquish Donald Trump, the trump and the Republican Party, even if we eradicate them from politics and government completely, which isn't going to happen, but if we did, that doesn't mean our problems are solved. If you think the Democrats are our heroes, are our champions, uh, 
Maybe to a certain extent in this circumstance they are, but we still have to be careful. Once we put full trust in anybody, that's when they take advantage of us. And as I said, that can be Republicans, most certainly would be Republicans, but it could also be Democrats. We got a long way to go to fix this shit. Donald Trump, the Republicans, and the trump are just our worst problem right now. Once that's done, we can focus on the smaller things and make sure things are done properly in Washington, D.C. All right, we will take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. So I'm sure you remember the story of how the Secret Service somehow, someway, lost a bunch of text messages from in and around January 6th. whoops the daisy they just went bye-bye, as Donald Trump might say. They blamed it on them changing to a new phone service, and they just disappeared. Now, you would think an agency as big and as important as the Secret Service would have a way to protect and preserve those text messages, knowing that making this change could cause that kind of problem. But it's it's very strange that it was only uh, those days around the 5th and 6th of January in 2021. It sounds all very suspicious, and I think most people believe that. Now, Representative Liz Cheney said the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack received around 800,000 pages of communication materials from the Secret Service, but she noted that most text messages from around the date which the committee had requested were not received. The text themselves, in many cases, are gone or other forms of communication like Teams messages and emails and other forms of communication. We have received probably 800,000 pages. The committee investigating the attack on the Capitol subpoenaed the Secret Service in July for text messages. Agents reportedly deleted around January 6, 2021. The Secret Service deleted messages from January 5th and 6th after the Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General had requested the records. See, that's what's suspicious about it. They were asked for these records, and then this accident happened where they are missing some text messages, just happens to be around January 5th and January 6th of 2021. And don't you also find it interesting that the uh, director of the Secret Service uh, several months back resigned or retired, presumably to be with his family more. I mean, leading up to his possible arrest and jailing that fucking... We've got a lot of problems with the Secret Service, and that is one area we cannot afford to have corruption. And clearly we do. The missing text messages could have corroborated the June testimony of the former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. She testified that the former deputy or uh, deputy chief of staff of operations, Tony 
Ornato told her that there was a confrontation between President Donald Trump and his Secret Service detail on January 6th. Now there's been a lot of other people that supported that that claim, too. It's not just Cassidy Hutchinson. There's a lot of other people suggesting that it did, in fact, occur. Now, Representative Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California, said on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday that found Hutchinson's, they found uh, Hutchinson's testimony credible, and I think the entire country did. Schiff said the committee has a lot of information it needs to look over, but he thinks it's fair to say that it will not be a replacement for some of the most critical evidence, which would have been on the phones. Committee members are making these points a few days ahead of the panel next hearing on Wednesday. Schiff also criticized the Department of Justice's handling of the Capitol attack. In an interview at the Texas Tribune Festival on Saturday, he said that the DOJ has been very slow, though, on the much more comprehensive and I believe even more significant investigation of January 6th. And, you know, I think we can all agree on that. They've been pretty slow. Representative Pete Aguilera, a Democrat of California, said on CBS Face the Nation, referencing the documents that the uh, Secret Service gave to the committee, that these are still not the text messages that were discussed before, but these seem to be communications internally amongst staff members. So there's a lot of information that our investigative team has been going through. Representative Jamie Raskin said on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday that Wednesday's hearing will focus on details that have been brought to the committee over the last five or six weeks. Raskin also said he feels more confident that the Department of Justice will be following up on the January 6th attacks. Now, Illinois Democrat Representative Raja or Raja I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Let's say Raja Krishna Murthy lamented that the Justice Department is moving too slowly when it comes to January 6th related cases. A few days ago, a former prosecutor for special counsel Robert Mueller's team, Andrew Weissman, explained that the DOJ started at a different vantage point. The House Select, then the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack. They were not working on prosecuting attackers, but on getting to the bottom of what happened to cause the January 6th and those involved in refusing to protect the Capitol. Now, speaking to MSNBC, uh, Krishnamurthy said that the committee was really sifted through everything to reveal the extent to which Donald Trump contributed to the January 6th attack and attempt to overthrow the election. The eerie resemblance between what he was tweeting and what was being said at the rallies and goes to just the whole issue of his corrupt intent with regards to the day that's perhaps the most difficult element to prove with regard to any charges that might be leveled against him or others at the White House. I think that whether he knew he was doing what he was doing was wrong at the time he was doing it, and whether he was consciously inspiring people to essentially what to do and what they did on January 6th, which was breach the Capitol, commit an insurrection, those all go to the heart of the hearings and the investigation the committee is doing. For that matter, uh, what the DOJ 
is doing as well. It's been very slow in my view, he said, about the DOJ investigation. We are now more than a year and a half after the events of January 6th. Still, there seems to be, at least from what we can gather in the public record areas, that the Justice Department hasn't fully hasn't fully uh, gone through this. They haven't fully investigated The Justice Department knew, for example, that Donald Trump was on the phone with the Secretary of State of Georgia demanding the Secretary find 11,780 votes that don't exist. He had that information for a long time. I don't think that should be left to the Fulton County District Attorney alone. Agreed. As much as Georgia can prosecute Donald Trump for this, so can the federal government. And why we haven't heard anything about that is kind of troubling. Now that said, a lot of things that go on in the DOJ and with Merrick Garland, we don't know. There'll come a day when we find out all they know, and we may be surprised that they were deeper into this than we imagine. But it's hard for us to imagine if we hear nothing. At least we know that they're digging into this. There is a grand jury, so if there are things to be dug out, certainly the DOJ will dig them out. Krishnamurthy went on to say that the DOJ should be capable of doing both cases of of the insurrection and the former president's involvement in attempting to overthrow the election. I mentioned this before. There doesn't seem to be the hustle necessary to really pursue these cases to the ground. Uh, Absolutely, they need to do everything they can to determine whether wrongdoing was committed and who should be held uh, culpable They need to make sure that if anything proceeds, they do so successfully. Yet there is a slowness to the investigation. And I'd have to agree. Everything seems to be really slow. Now, for the longest time, we had all kinds of people basically saying, oh, he's doing nothing, meaning Merrick Garland. And we know now that that's not true. It's just people pouting. We know that that uh, Merrick Garland is methodical and very detail-oriented. He's never lost a case, so he doesn't want to rush into something and potentially lose the biggest case of his lifetime and probably the biggest case in the history of this country. So he's being cautious. But unfortunately, while he's being cautious, Donald Trump is still flapping his gums and still damaging this country. While he's being methodical, we still have these documents that Donald Trump may or may not still have being used against this country. And while this is all going on, we're still trying to determine what damage Donald Trump did to this country while he had these documents, not only for the 19 months he's been out of office, but for the six years since he took office. Because we know now that there's been... uh, He's had an affinity for these top-secret documents. We know that he met with Vladimir Putin five times, and each of those times were secret meetings. There were no other people in there to hear what was going on. There was no memorializing of the meetings. That was unprecedented by a president, and you have to wonder why he wanted to do that. The only possible reason was because he didn't want people to hear what he was saying to Vladimir Putin or what Vladimir Putin was saying to him. 
And as President of the United States, he has a responsibility, a duty, to let the American public or certainly the government know what is going on. We're going to find out a lot with Letitia James in New York. Because if you remember, Letitia James uh, is going to sue Donald Trump, his kids, his executives, and the Trump Organization. And while that's a civil case, she's referred Donald Trump and everybody else to the IRS and the Southern District of New York. There may be some criminality there. But I think the important factor uh, that we need to know is that you'll also remember a story where Donald Trump and his accounting company had been fighting to keep Donald Trump's financial records away from Letitia James. Well, that came to an end. She has all his financial records. So we are going to see not only what he did, but where he made his money from. And we'll find out he wasn't worth nearly as much as we thought he was. Or he said he was. I know he's not worth anywhere near what he suggests. It's all bullshit. It's all hyperbole. But that information is going to tell us a lot. And it's going to tie into the situation with these documents. And the way it ties in is this. If, in fact, he's getting money by Russia somehow, whether it be through Deutsche Bank or directly, or we look at the $2 billion that Jared uh, Kushner was handed by the uh, Saudi Arabians, that's going to tell us a lot. If we find out that Donald Trump was beholden to and in debt to the Russian government and to the Saudi Arabians and God knows who else, if we know he was beholden to them, that adds a new urgency to those documents. I mean, the Russian government, as much as they may like Donald Trump, they don't give him money for fucking nothing. They want something in return. Of course they do. And Donald Trump would be compromised at that point. So if Donald Trump got all all his money from Russia and Saudi Arabia and whoever else, what he may have done with those documents are far more serious. We We would know... What he did was serious. And besides the fact that the the Russians have said, oh, yeah, we've seen all those documents. Now, they might say that just to fuck with the Americans. They are prone to do that. But it wouldn't be surprising if they did see them. Donald Trump had his hands on them for six years. He had an affinity for them. He liked to travel with them. He liked to show people how cool he was. Look at this document. We know he had Russian spies in the Oval Office just a short time after he took office, and he let some top-secret information about Israel fly just by accident. There is no question that Donald Trump is a Russian asset, maybe a Saudi Arabian asset. As I've said, it's not that he has any loyalty to any one country. He will be an asset for anybody who's willing to fucking pay him. So hopefully in this hearing on the 28th, we'll get some more information about what's going on. And hopefully Letitia James will get this trial going and uh, we will hear more about his financial status because that that is the real telling tale here. Once we know how much he's worth, where he's getting his money from, that's going to tell us a lot. Now, outside the United States, there is some other shit going on, and, and um, 
I believe Bo asked about it. Was it Bo or he? I don't know which one it was. It, one of the emails was talking about what's going on in Iran. And it's weird. There's a lot of crazy shit going on in Iran, but we're so focused on those things happening in the United States, we don't give it a second thought. If this had been 10 years ago, it would be the lead story. But because of all this other crazy shit, it's a secondary story. But it's important, and it's potentially dangerous. A fifth member of an Iranian volunteer paramilitary group died Sunday after clashing with what state media called rioters and thugs as the country's president, Ibrahim Raisi, warned that protesters would be dealt with decisively um, with decisively after days of nationwide unrest. See, the people are kind of pushing back against the Iranian government. The person died from injuries sustained on Thursday in Ermia City in northwest Iran, Iranian state news agency IRNA said. Um, now, other members, uh, uh, another pil- paramilitary organization connected to the powerful Islamic Revolution Guard Corps, IRGC, have been killed. Um, the protests have been sparked by the death of Maza. Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian woman detained by mortality, well, I guess it was mortally uh, wounded, Uh, morality police on September 13 accused of violating the country's conservative dress code. Hundreds of anti-government demonstrators returned to the streets of Tehran and dozens of other provincial towns as darkness fell. On Sunday, despite claims by state-run news agencies that the pro-government rallies have been have put an end to the protest, but the emailer made an interesting point. He said that he saw some parallels between Iran and the United States. I mean, that's just crazy to imagine, just crazy to think. But she ended up dead. This woman, Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian woman. She ended up dead because she was accused of violating the country's conservative dress code. This government wanted to tell this woman how she should dress. And if she didn't dress properly, the punishment was death. Now they can say that rioters did this and thugs, but you know what happened. You know what a country like Iran does to anybody who pushes back against the government. But as the emailer said, there's some parallels here. And there are when you think about it. When you think about the Republicans wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that's not enough. They want a national law outlawing abortion. But even more than that, these states and the federal government, or the Republicans in the federal government, want to criminalize abortion. I mean, there are some laws where they want to charge people with, or charge women with murder if they should go ahead and get an abortion. That is pretty troubling. I mean, it's one thing when you see Iran do something like this, but... uh, We've got our own problem, very similar to that in America. We've got people that not only want to take a constitutional right away from women, 
They want to turn them into criminals just because they want to make choices about their own fucking bodies. That's where we're headed if the Republicans get in power. More an authoritarian or dictatorial dictatorship um, like Iran. You want this country to be like Iran? I don't even think the Republicans want that. The trump who don't, don't know any better. But apparently... Apparently, there are some parallels for, so for, to the emailer, thanks for pointing that out. It's well taken, and I don't disagree with you. There's clearly some shit going on in Iran, and certainly some shit going on here in this country that is more than troubling. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the U.S. has told Russian officials to stop the loose talk on potential use of nuclear weapons following the reports that the Biden administration has privately warned the Kremlin to stamp out the escalatory rhetoric. Now, we know what's going on in the Ukraine. We've been hearing a lot of things like uh, Vladimir Putin's in trouble, that people with inside the government and in the country are starting to question whether he should even be in office. We know in a country like Russia, a guy like Vladimir Putin could go away any moment. Now, it might take a while because I'm sure that Vladimir Putin has set it up so he's protected in the case of a potential coup or an overthrow or something like that. So it may not happen tomorrow. But clearly, the Russians are getting tired of Vladimir Putin. So what does Vladimir Putin do? Well, he fucking doubles down. And uh, he decides he's going to force a bunch of his citizens, by conscription, force 300,000 men and women to join in the war in Ukraine. Russia has not been doing well in Ukraine, and they want to win this by sheer numbers of people. And now some people are even saying that it may end up being more like a million. Yeah, I know Vladimir Putin said 300,000, but like Donald Trump, he's a fucking liar. So it wouldn't surprise me. But here's the problem for him when he does this. It's not even so much about getting 300,000 or even a million people to go into war and to win this thing. The people are kicking back on this. They're not liking this. They don't understand why they're at war with the Ukraine as much as Vladimir Putin has lied about it. So they're kicking back. They're pushing back. There is a backlash going on in Russia. And it's not going to do well for um, Vladimir Putin. We're also hearing that people by the plane loads are trying to get the fuck out of the country. Uh, But unfortunately, a lot of countries where planes go to won't accept Russian passports. So they want out, but they can't get out because nobody will fucking take them. This is going to come to a head at some time soon. And Vladimir Putin is the reason why they are in this trouble with all the sanctions and why their economy, why day-to-day life sucks in Russia. So this is going to come back to bite Vladimir Putin in the ass. Other Dictatorial leaders have made these kinds of mistakes, and it always ends the same way. They either get ousted or killed or go missing or whatever. And that's what's going to happen to Vladimir Putin. No question about that at some point. We don't know when or how long it will take. But as far as I'm concerned, the fucking sooner the better. Vladimir Putin is evil. 
And if they are to take him out and uh, just do away with him, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't feel sorry about it. He's done too much damage. He's a murderer. He's a, a corrupt criminal. And he is one of the absolute worst people in this country. Now, Blinken told CBS 60 Minutes host Scott Pelley in an interview aired yesterday that the U.S. has been very clear with Russians, both publicly and privately, to stop the loose talk about nuclear weapons. See, that's what he's doing now. He's doing what Donald Trump is doing, doubling down and starting to flail because he doesn't know what else to do. So now he's threatening nuclear war with America and with NATO. There was even one story where one of the leaders close to Vladimir Putin suggested setting off a nuclear bomb in a NATO NATO country like Poland or something like that. Now, if that was to happen, then we'd have a nuclear war. I can't imagine anybody in Russia would allow that to happen uh, because it would be guaranteed to wipe out the entire country of Russia, as well as a lot of other places. It makes no sense to even talk about nuclear weapons, and and clearly the United States is getting a little pissed off about it. Now, Blinken also said it's very important that Moscow hear from us and know from us that the consequences would be horrific. We've made that very clear. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the U.S. has warned Moscow of catastrophic consequences should it use nuclear weapons like in Ukraine. Amid stinging losses in Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin last week warned in a televised address that Russian nukes were more modern than Western nations and said his country was prepared to use them, adding the threat was not a bluff. So at this point, we know he's fucking nuts. First of all, his weapons aren't as modern as the United States. And as far as I know, they have a similar amount. We may have more in some areas. They have more. But it doesn't matter. You don't need all those weapons to destroy the world. It wouldn't take that many. And the whole idea of even talking about that is so ridiculous. Nobody with any common sense would do it. And let's understand, Vladimir Putin is like Donald Trump. He'll make crazy threats that they will never follow up on because they can't. Vladimir Putin would not be allowed to sit down at his desk and push a button. That's not how it works. There's more of a process going through it. And if he said today we're going to nuke Poland or the United States I guarantee you, somebody would take them out at this point. Because all these people know, yeah, if we do that, that's fine, but we're wiped out too. So why would anybody with any common sense, any intellect at all, even fucking talk about that? That's a crazy fucking threat that he's not going to follow up on. There's just no way he is or will be allowed to. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, who went over the spring, called an earlier Putin threat to use nuclear weapons a bluff, has now warned that Putin's threats could be a reality. Blinken, on 60 Minutes, expressed concern that if Putin were to decide to launch a nuclear attack, there would be little resistance inside the Kremlin to stop it. A lack of checks on power that he called the Achilles heel of the autocracies anywhere. I'm not even going to act like I know more than 
Mr. Blinken, because I don't. I just find it hard to believe. He may be saying this um, to add to their case, but um, maybe within the Kremlin you have some people that agree with Vladimir Putin, but they're not stupid. Not everybody in the Kremlin is stupid because it's it's suicide if they even try to do it. So that's that makes no sense. There is usually not anyone who has the capacity or the will to speak truth to power, the Secretary of State said, adding that Russia has gotten itself into the mess that it's in is because there is no one in the system to effectively tell Putin he's doing the wrong thing. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same thing with Donald Trump. Everybody's afraid to say when he's wrong. And what does he do? He constantly fucks up. Vladimir Putin, much like Donald Trump, is a narcissist. He doesn't believe uh, anybody can tell him what to do, that he has ultimate power, that he is omnipotent. But Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, neither are omnipotent. Donald Trump will be a shit stain on history and will be a pariah forever. And so will Vladimir Putin, ultimately. Asked if he was worried about pushing Putin into a corner, Blinken said, Putin has a clear way out of the war he started, and that's to end it. If Russia stops fighting, the war ends, he said. If Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine ends. And that's a good point. Ukraine can't do anything in this situation. they got to keep fighting to exist, to continue their country. And honestly, they've done an amazing job. Now, what will happen if he brings 300,000 people into Ukraine? I don't know. Could they overrun the country? Yeah, probably. Probably. But the people who are being conscripted aren't liking this. As it is, there are people in the country that are Russian soldiers that are just given up. They're tired of this. They're scared. And you're going to have more of those kinds of people. You got to give the Ukrainians credit. They fight like hell. They are tough and they are resolved to push these people back. It's hard to imagine a country like Ukraine pushing Russia back, but let's be honest, for more than a year, they've been fucking doing it. So I'm not going to say what Ukraine can and can't do because clearly I don't know and nobody knows. We're all surprised by where it's gone to this point. At some point, the dam's got to break, though. Vladimir Putin does something so stupid that he gets taken out, or he gets taken out before he does something stupid. But make no mistake, Vladimir Putin will be taken out at some point. I hope sooner than later, but it's impossible to know, given that he's probably protected himself pretty substantially in his country, knowing that this is a possibility. If you're an autocrat, if you're a dictator, it always seems to end the same for dictators. They always end up dead or in exile, but more frequently than not, dead. It's, you know, it's like being in the mafia. You can be a hotshot in the mafia, but there's only two things that these guys, the richest, most famous, the most prolific mafia people, they either end up dead or in jail. And the same thing can be said for Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, for that matter. They're nothing more than... Um, oversized mob bosses, and it never goes well for mob bosses in the end. 
All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time you do to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.